you're looking at uh, two smokestacks with the smoke blown directly over my house. That's what you're looking at. Charlie Mikna has a coal plant for a neighbor. When I first moved here over 30, 31 years ago, none of this was like this. This... The smoke isn't the only thing Charlie has to deal with. There's a rail yard on the other side of his house. Um, behind me, we're looking at 60 yards away to the west, and we're looking at coal. We're looking at trains. So when I'm not getting hit with smoke going over my head, I'm getting sandblasted with coal dust coming off the tops of the trains. Charlie lives in Wisconsin in a town called Caledonia, although some people now call it Cole Adonia. Um, you're standing and looking out my front door. You will uh, get a good view of the coal piles. When you've got a mountain of coal, three football fields long, two football fields wide, the height of it is probably, oh, jeez. I want to say, when I'm looking at that, if I remember what I was thinking, I want to say it's about 200 feet high. Yeah, it looks like a mountain. It looks just like a mountain, you know. And when in the wintertime, when, when the leaves are gone and all the woody calls, it's even bigger. It looks bigger. But the coal doesn't all stay on the mountain. Some of it ends up on Charlie's front porch. This is a brand new chair. I put this out here. Never have never sat on it. And it's basically just dirty from dust, from all the dust that collects in my window cells, up on the tops of my doors, on my refrigerator. It's, when it blows, it's, it's all over the place. I'm Precious Brady Davis, and this is the second episode of The Land I Trust, a special podcast series from the Sierra Club. We're talking to people all over the Midwest who are fighting against dirty fields, fighting for clean energy, and fighting together to be heard. The diesel smoke, it rolls across the field and chokes us in our own homes, and we're maybe a 1,000 feet away. A 12-year-old and a 7-year-old were getting up in front of adults about coal ash, a very adult topic. And they were like, you are the loudest voices out of all of ours. We're starting this episode in Wisconsin, where Charlie Mickna's family has lived since the 1800s. The road he lives on is even named Mickna Road. Charlie's brothers and sisters live nearby. All 10 of them. Yes, Charlie is one of 11 Mickna's. That's a lot to keep track of, even for the Mickna's themselves. Well, 73, I guess. She's 73, and then and the youngest. Dorothy's 73, and 40, then Dorothy's. 43, right? 42. No, 50. she's she's 42. No, 52. Yeah, 52. I'm thinking wrong. God, I'm 20 years. I keep forgetting how old I am. Let's see. <laughs> You're he's not he's this, the right? second. <laughs> yeah, don't. So oh no. That's Renee Mikna and Maureen Mikna Wolf, two of Charlie's sisters. Marina. They sat down with one of their other brothers, Frank Mikna, to talk about what it's like growing up in the shadow of coal plants. You couldn't have had a better childhood than what we had. All 11 of us were so happy living here. and We had horses and mini bikes, and we had a lot of friends from the neighborhood. And we lived close, close to Lake Michigan, so we could run down there and go swimming whenever we wanted. And we would, you know, play in the woods and stuff, hide and seek. We loved it here. And we used to hang clothes out to dry 
in the summer, and a lot of the, our white sheets and stuff, we saw black spots on them. And, you know, you, you never really put it together until you realize, you know, you think back, or my mom would say, oh, that's from the power plant. And the power plant is actually two power plants. So it's We Energy's Oak Creek and Elm Road coal-fired power plants. So the one was built in the 50s, and that's the Oak Creek, and the Elm Road went online in 2011. And so it has less than 10 years of history, but a lot of contamination. And we live, we live on Lake Michigan, just uh, less than a mile south of the plant. And we live in the, the uh, village of Caledonia. They call it Coladonia now. We refer to it as Coladonia, Coladonia. because there's so much coal that goes through here from the, the trains to the both uh, coal-fired power plants. We've all had our houses tested, and we've every one of us have had tested positive for coal remnants and dust in our homes. This house, what we're sitting in right now, I had it on my banister upstairs, on my dresser, everywhere. We all, we all have experienced, I think, respiratory illnesses. And our spouses. I mean, you could say, yeah, maybe it's hereditary, but it's not. When you're, my spouse, her children, Val's children, herself, we all experience some sort of health issue. Breathing, you know, it's breathing and bronchitis. health. Bronchitis. Bronchitis, um, you name it. And, and sometimes in a year, it's, it's worse than others. When you get a northerly wind and that carbon dioxide is blowing out of them stacks, we have, we have trouble breathing here. So it's not only the coal, but it's also from the trains bringing the coal in and out. The diesel smoke, it rolls across the field and chokes us in our own homes. Well, and we're still, and we're maybe a thousand feet away. I think the power plant has come in, in our neighborhood and taken over. They've bought out how many houses around here just to quiet people. They wanted us to move out, too. Well, and we decided we're going to stay and fight them. Right. We're going to stay and fight. I always say that I'm a bullheaded Czechoslovakian, and we don't back down. I'm not going to let somebody come in here and destroy everything that I've worked for. And my family and my grandfather worked for all their lives. For them to come in here and destroy it all, I'll fight them to my last breath. I think people are starting to become more aware of climate change and what uh, We Energy's coal-fired power plant is actually producing. And I think we've got more groups, more people involved in this concern with us. So um, I, I think we've, we have hope now. I mean, you can't cure the world, but I mean, you can do something in your own backyard, we figure. Over in Madison, Wisconsin, there's another person working in their own backyard, you might say. So I was born and raised in Madison, Wisconsin. I've, I've lived there for 18 years, and I, I love the place. Absolutely beautiful. For Charles Hua, there's more to Wisconsin than beauty or dairy. Obviously, Wisconsin, known for its cheese, is definitely something that I joke about a lot. The land has shaped who he is as a person. Having grown up in the Midwest has definitely shaped my Identity, in a, to a big extent, there's definitely that sort of sense of community and collaboration that, that the Midwest definitely values as a, as a cultural value. And that's definitely one of my personal values is trying my best to, you know, work with other people rather than work alone. I think that when I first heard about climate change in second grade, obviously at that age, it's, it's very hard to 
have a clear sense of what exactly the problem is and and how one would go about solving it. But during high school, I was like, you know, what can we do to advance some sort of solution to, to take a stab at this issue of climate change? And, you know, after thinking about it for a while, I was like, how about let's do a solar project? And so we pitched it to the school district and uh, we were initially told that we couldn't install a solar project because the roof needed to be replaced. So while that was discouraging at first, we were able to uh, negotiate a deal with the school district where if I and the rest of the club raised $50,000, the school district would provide $25,000 in matching funding. I, I think definitely there were very few people that would have expected us to be able to raise that amount of money, just given the fact that we were you know, a bunch of teenagers. <laughs> but over the course of the next several months, we were able to raise $150,000 in the end. And the, the trajectory of how a group of students was able to change the way a large organization such as our school district um, and change how they thought about a certain issue like renewable energy and, and climate change and sustainability was definitely an incredible accomplishment, but also a deeply fulfilling and rewarding learning experience. So I, I fundamentally believe that youth will be disproportionately affected by the consequences of climate change. But what does make me hopeful is returning to that, that notion of in the Midwest where collaboration is valued. That's perhaps one of the most important things that society today can view as a value and must view as a value in order to make sure that this big issue is meaningfully addressed. There will reach a tipping point where there's simply no time left for anything other than getting our hands dirty and, and tackling this issue head on. I agree with Charles on this one. The only way to deal with our problems is to confront them, to stand up and say, we've had enough. In Pleasant Plains, Illinois, there's another group of young people getting involved. I like the Thin Mints. Yeah. The S'mores. Yeah, it's the newest cookie. My favorite is the Caramel Delights. But the members of Girl Scout Troop 6195 just outside of Springfield do a lot more than just sell cookies, according to Brandy Spann. Girl Scouts are stereotypically, you know, just girls in a room making crafts, eating snacks, just hanging out together. She's a junior at Pleasant Plains High School and has been a Girl Scout for 12 years. But especially with our troop, we focus on community issues and speaking for the youth about different topics that are, for us, environmental. For them, environmental activism started small, literally, with a monarch butterfly. So the monarch population was endangered and their population was decreasing because milkweed is the plant that they eat and that they lay their eggs on. So it was disappearing because of mowing or herbicides. In Pleasant Plains, actually, it used to be covered in milkweed. Just a couple years ago, I mean, people were picking them all the time. It was like a thing that the, the kids would go out and do and they'd go and pick milkweed. So it's slowly disappearing, and the monarchs were endangered. So the push was to plant more milkweed. And then we got that bill passed that made milkweed the state wildflower. As of maybe a year or two ago, they're officially off the endangered species list. Their success with the monarchs got the girls fired up about the other environmental issues. That is literally the root to how our troop has grown and flourished. Because with problems with the 
monarchs led to problems with the milkweed, led to problems that led to coal ash. And so our, for our base was literally monarchs. Cole Hopkins is a freshman in high school. She's been in the troop for 10 years. She grew up going to Girl Scout camp nearby Lake Springfield. With Lake Springfield, it has a Girl Scout camp, Camp Widgie. And with me growing up there since I was five to now, it has a lot of impact on me because I literally grew up with the girls who went there. And by Lake Springfield is actually a coal plant. And so, you know, with coal ash, you don't know what to do with it after. So what they do, they put it in a pile. And with that pile, with rain, wind, it starts to seep into the ground and it is leaking into Lake Springfield. So if it gets to a point, it's going to affect everyone around the lake and it's going to affect our camp, Camp Widgee, and it will unfortunately have to close down. And I don't want that to happen because I've literally grown up with a camp. Along with her little sister, Olivia, who was just seven years old at the time, Kowu and Brandy went to the EPA to testify. Um, I don't really remember that much because I was like seven, but, I, but all I remember is that I had to stand on a chair to reach the podium. <laughs> when we stood up, I think they thought it was kind of a joke that a 12-year-old and a seven-year-old were getting up in front of adults about a very adult topic. I thought it was like scary at first. <laughs> I definitely had like my voice was shaking the whole time and I was like nervous. There's so much out there that we don't understand, but this is something that we've worked on and that I think we understand pretty well. And we went up there to talk about it. And like she said, they didn't expect us to know anything. It was just, oh, we're just letting some kids do some cute little things. But it was actually like really awesome. They were actually, I think at the end of it, were quite impressed. Many people who watched us testify actually came up to us after and was like, could we interview you? Could we talk to you? It was like, wow, just gave us so many compliments. And they were like, you are the loudest voices out of all of ours. It's cool that we get a say in what's happening. And I mean, especially right now, there's a push and youth voices are being heard. So it's really cool that we get the opportunity to be the voices. But also it's like, yeah, you know, we could be doing other things. I mean, I can't even come up with something in my head for what else we'd be doing because I do this a lot. But, you know, it's just, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm upset necessarily. It's just like, darn, you know. But yeah, it's a cool opportunity, but it shouldn't be an opportunity that I have to have. I feel like a Girl Scout troop shouldn't have to, like, stand, a, stand up in front of a crowd of adults to tell them to, like, fix this problem. And, like, the more coal lash there is, like, we're holding, we're hurting the polar bears and, like, their, their ice is melting and, like, they can't find, like, a place to, like, live. And then, like, once they, like, find a place, it'll just crack and melt again. And then eventually they're not going to find a place and they're going to drown. Yeah, it's like you have to kind of grow up really fast, which it's part of growing up, but like realizing that there's so many issues that you don't even notice when you're younger. It's like, wow. Brandy, <laughs> when you're in college and having mental <laughs> breakdowns, are you going to continue to be in Girl Scouts or like help the Girl Scouts and be an environmentalist? I really want to. I mean, I don't know if you're allowed to be like part of a troop after high school because I think that's the maximum but like well you could still help out yeah. yeah I mean I definitely want to still be involved in what we're doing 
yeah. I definitely want to keep doing this. I'm Precious Brady Davis. This is The Land I Trust. All episodes of all seasons are available now wherever you get your podcast. To take action, you can go to sc.org slash divest and join the fight against dirty fields or check out the latest ways to make a difference at adup.org. And as always, share, listen, leave a comment. The Land I Trust is produced by Josephine Holtzman and Isaac Kestenbaum of Future Projects Media, with production help from Danielle Roth, Galen Koch, and Adil Trahan. Music by Jeff Brodsky. Mix by Dara Hirsch. The executive producer is Jeff Shaw.